But before we get into this, in the spirit of roasting you, which I'm not entirely going to do, what possessed you to think about joining the show with two miscreants like us? Like, seriously. Or is it better to say two uh, fellow miscreants, maybe? (laughs) I thought about today, I'm like, how do I explain why he decided to do this to himself? Well, you know, I, I think I think we all fall in the same category is that uh, all of us become a bit bedeviled and bewitched when we have the thought that people actually want to hear what we're thinking. So um, it's it's compelling. Let me tell you. Welcome to Transpose, a podcast about understanding the rapid shifts in technology, business and society. We explore key changes in what's new, what it all means and where we're going. I'm Maximus, your AI-generated disembodied voice, here to introduce your favorite collection of innovators, futurists and ne'er-do-wells, Anjua Huja, Justin Dabb and Sean Layden. Let's get started. Carry on, you overpaid jackasses. This is episode 14 of Transpose, recorded April 16th, 2023. The topic for this episode? Generative AI. For long-time listeners, we have a bit of a change to our format. We have a new theme song and, more importantly, a new co-host. Creator, leader, and PlayStation alumnus, Sean Layden. What could go wrong? Stay tuned. So you, you picked a British AI. Yeah. Why? Probably because I like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe we can do a different AI every week, right? We'll have a British totally, AI. Totally. And we'll do a French Absolutely. guy. And now for the transpose of Oh, the God. Movie. If you can find me one of these things that does text to French, to arrogant French guy, <laughs> I'm, I'm so in. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going deep. That'll be a deep cut this week. Text to arrogant French guy. <laughs> Welcome to transpose. I am uh, uh, Jean. They are silly, they are stupid, but we will have them today for whatever reason. We need an angry Bostonian grandmother on St. Patrick's Day. We need that voice too. Hey, I love the fact seeing President Biden come out on stage in Ireland a couple of days ago to the soundtrack of the Dropkick Murphys. It's like no hail to the chief. They went yeah. straight into shipping into Boston, and I thought it was just a perfect moment for the president. I, I, have, I didn't see it, but I wish I did. Well, it's on YouTube, of course, so you can find it. it. Everything is. Yes. Whether it's supposed to be or not. So should we get people into today's topic? Generative AI. Well, it's everyone's topic. It's every it's gonna be the topic. Unfortunately, you know, the last episode we were accused of only talking about the metaverse. I have a feeling we will get these same accusations now for generative AI. The metaverse is so done now. No, right. Well well, this is so I'm gonna jump into to uh, predictions though. The generative AI is the first thing that made me think vr can work okay oh unpack that so tell me tell me there's been a dearth of content for vr um it's been hard to find you know niche you know audiences or there's no mass audience i don't think really it doesn't seem like for vr you need these something compelling for everybody and Mm -hmm. so if they have you know more of a holodeck experience where they're commanding things into existence and in worlds they're creating from their own desires and um, kind of inclinations, uh, you could lose people for a long time in there. The, the fear of that is like you become as programmed as your Netflix movie recommendation list. Not necessarily, right? So part of it is that you can keep changing your mind. That's true. Uh, and 
you know, the, the problem with all these, you know, massive thinking, I have to create a massive open gaming world for everybody. And I've got to run it, you know, kind of create some consensus reality on, you know, servers across the planet to make sure that, you know, people can connect at, maybe they don't need to connect. But really creating something on the fly, it really takes the onus off of the infrastructure companies to have to create this stuff a priori, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly content is free because <laughs> it's created by the people who are paying you to get access to your cloud rendering in real time. So is this about the metaverse or about VR or about both? Well, every, it's about everything, really. I mean, I, you know, I think v, the VR experience, I don't think it's metaverse, actually. I think it is more VR because metaverse implies uh, kind of a communal experience. The interesting thing about, about VR, and, you know, I was working with PlayStation first came out with their VR rig and, you know, worked against that and would tell the story at the time. And I kind of mostly still believe it that we rarely get the chance to get at 1.0 on technology. Right. We're usually coming in midstream or late stream and but to get it one dot that's where VR was five years ago, is one dot And I would use the example that you can't look at a analog Motorola cell phone from nineteen ninety-five and into it into iPhone. You you can't make that leap. You couldn't see that then and experience what we have now. So I feel the same about VR is that we can't predict the future because we really don't know what it's gonna look like. But now it's gonna be this clunky headset and we're gonna do that sort of thing and move on. But looking at it further, you know, every rendition of VR in popular culture or in, you know, films and, and novels and, and what have you, it's always a response to a dystopian universe. It's like the world is a hellscape. So I'm going to put this headset on and I'm going to transport myself to a nice beach somewhere because I live in a hovel in, you know, a third degree basement in Detroit. Every every VR base, whether it's Ready Player One or whether it's the Peripheral or or Caprica, wherever you want to go, or Lawnmower Man, where you were in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> what more of a hellscape is that? So, <laughs> as long as VR is seen as an escape route, I don't know what kind of energy animates it. I don't know. I find it to be an exploration agent. I mean, so there are things that I'm just never going to do. I've been to Squat. I almost got in the bungee cord setup. Almost, you know, took the jump, and I, I just did not want to do it. I'm like, it's not worth it to me to do this. First of all, I thought I would puke, but secondly, I'm like, I also might die. But I'll do it in VR all day long. Like, I'll go, I'll go to places. I'll go to the top of Everest. I'm never going to climb that mountain. Zero interest in doing that. Okay. So I don't know. For me, it's um, it's an exposure agent. But yeah, it's interesting. I think I would be more interested in a fake universe that was created by an agent that sort of could read my mind and say she finds these things interesting spatially, color-wise, texture-wise, and created an artificial world that probably still looks somewhat like the real world. So I have some context for it, but I would go hang around in that sort of space. Well, then OpenAI is your friend. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, was also yeah. kind of what I'm thinking is I, I, I've at least personally felt there's been a mismatch between kind of what someone needs to charge for developing the content in VR and the kind of long-term attention span one can give to these experiences. They get pretty repetitive pretty quickly. Uh, the only, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, the only two things that I use my VR headset for are working out boxing because it's a little different every day I sweat. That's good. And uh, bowling to stretch my shoulders before I box. That's it. Well, you found your niche. I'm just as bad in VR bowling as I am in 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 real bowling. I, I have it's, to say that the the VR bowling balls 
lot less germs than the ones you actually get in the alley. That's all I can say. And don't even talk about the shoes. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, if I could, on a whim, conjure an entire world to try that day, and it wasn't like, okay, well, you need to give me $25 more. Um, It's kind of compelling for me. We were at um, San Jose Camera. I don't know what it's called, but it's like right around here. It's a really good camera store. And one of the guys who's super expert on all things lenses is showing me his giant portfolio of artwork he creates using one of his accounts. And he's just like, I just get stimulated by an idea or something like I want to give somebody a happy birthday card. And instead, I take something that I know they're a fan of, and I put it in some wild context, and I generate this art, and I send it to them. And he's just like, he runs through his account. I think he gets like eight or 12 a month. And he's like, I only make it through like four days. And then I have to wait till the next month before I get like my ability to make more. He must still be using Dolly. I think, yeah, this was like a year ago or or maybe a little over a year ago. So now he's a mid journey fanatic and actually making interesting things probably. Yeah. I mean, but he showed me some of the stuff and some of it was really compelling. Like some of it was sort of part fantasy, part grim, part like it was just, it was neat. It was stuff you wouldn't naturally pull together. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be a listener here for a second. Uh, who wants to explain uh, what large language models are and how we get to what people see with ChatGPT? Anybody? I think that's you, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great! I was really hoping Anju would jump right on that. Um, <laughs> teach I do not do. The most kind of grounded explanation I've ever heard is it's the world's most complex autocomplete. Like you start typing one thing and then, you know, Google says, you know, yeah. like, why is Sean Layden on this podcast? Yeah. Let's, let's see what the answer. What does Chad give us for that? I'm totally feeding that in later. <laughs> Here's where my, my knowledge falls apart though, is I don't know what the taxonomy of the statistical model looks like there. I don't know, like what, how does it start to organize things into coherent narratives? I really don't know. So I think that's actually behind some of the, yep. you know, that open letter on everybody freeze for six months. I think that's one of the things that they're saying it's less and less transparent how these models actually work and how they're trained. Yep. Forget about Chuck Schumer's idea about who's training them. We can get into his problematic view on that, which is just like so naive, it's ridiculous. But um, but no, I think, I, I think that is part of the problem, right? It's like, it's still so experimental though. How Say you knew everything about how it worked. Would it make you use it less or want to use it less? People don't know how the algorithm in Facebook works. (laughs) Yeah. The people who created that. The way that it services content to you is different from me, is different from Justin. We don't know how that thing works. We do know it's dangerous, though. (laughs) We're not going to wrap our head around the the AI thing. So, I mean, that open letter... and I don't know, maybe you can talk a little bit on you about what open letter you're talking about. But the point, I think, of it, and you can argue whether it's pointless or not, is that that line Jeff Goldblum has in Jurassic Park, you know, just because you could do it, uh, did you think about whether you should do it? I think the point of that letter was, hey, before you start to accelerate this model you have now, you should start thinking about controls, you should start understanding impact and all the other kind of social ramifications, which arguably doesn't happen that much, um, you know, in the startup phase of any kind of tech movement. So I found the whole thing kind of self-serving and a little naive because it's like, you know, if you you want to say, let's be thoughtful, let's go be thoughtful. Let's write like, you know, 
bunch of discourse out there about like how to think about it, philosophize about it. That's all lovely. To say go pause for six months, the the largest models that are out there. No. You, how do we even know where all the largest models are? I mean, do I really believe Apple doesn't have a giant LLM? No. I mean, I'm sure they've got something going on that nobody's talking about. I, I don't know what Palantir is working on, but I'm scared. Right? It's like, oh, God. I, I want them to stop. I want Palantir to stop. Yeah, that's, that's yes. A, a dark agenda Palantir and the NSA together is like, I don't know, it's about as scary as seeing like all of Bush's cabinet come back together for reunion. Well, I, I love the fact that Justin brought Jeff Goldblum into the chat. Because I think there's another great <laughs> Jeff Goldblum quote, not from Jurassic Park, but from The Big Chill, where he talks about yes, more important than sex is rationalization. And the guy says, how can that be more important than sex? Says, Have you gone a day without a rationalization? <laughs> no. There you go. And we're all rationalizing what this AI, you know, not is supposed to be and and how we're supposed to get at it we didn't even talk about this 12 months ago but now it's like consuming us yeah um, in the in in the front view and i don't think you can i think like so many things in life you just gotta hold on and write it out i agree with you i i think there's a lot there's, there's way too much focus on the what and not the all the different things, the how you can experiment with it. And I think if people mm -hmm. actually try to be constructive in their view on how to take an emerging technology, play with it. You have to actually experiment with it before you can find out where it can be applied in a useful way. And, and I think there's a lot of fear mongering going on in general. And I, I don't like that it's partly coming from the tech community about the tech well, community, because I yeah. feel like there's a lot of, you know, hidden agendas in that. I was going to say sour grapes. Yes, really, there's a right? lot of there's a lot of that. It's like, hold on, I need to catch up with you. You're too far exactly. ahead. Exactly. And the tech community that says we need to press pause for six months. Yes. It's not so we can have a an intellectual discussion about what is the righteousness or not yeah. of this. It's to let other people catch up. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. And and by the way, the signatories, some of them didn't actually sign the letter. It got released, and, and they acknowledge this, the future of life for whoever this org is. They acknowledge that in their FAQs. They're basically like, right. yeah, it accidentally got leaked. Some people weren't totally on board. Some people still aren't totally on board. And I'm like, what do you want me to believe in in this little open letter? You're just like stoking fear. That's That comes across as Chat no. GPT uh, assumed they would sign when it, when it wrote it. Wrote yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, and Elon was early on an open AI and he lost control of that and then went into Microsoft. And so now he's using his new X company or the old X company, whatever you want to call it. That's right. It's now got a whole AI platform behind it as well. So for him to say that we need to watch out for AI means yeah. give me a chance to catch up. That's the sour grapes I was referring to. So. Okay. I'm just going to call it and, and not to be totally negative and completely diss on Musk because I know he gets plenty of the bad rap everywhere else. But seriously, like this whole payment strategy for Twitter is like breathing it's like CPR on a mummy. It's dead. Like, move on. It, it was a good idea before he got his hands on Twitter and destroyed it. Yes. Oh. <laughs> exactly. That's right. And so there goes, you know, I think he's kind of losing his genius halo yeah. the longer he plays with Twitter. It's, we all just come awake saying he's just sort of a, a craven megalomaniac who wanted this thing to make him look like a genius. Thanks, bye. Hubris, the story that keeps telling itself. <laughs> I have to assume that the yes. recruiters all over the country are like, hey, wait a minute. If it wasn't him, who are the number two and three guys in all of his companies? Thanks. Exactly. Well, that guy who started, what was that? Oh, yeah, Lucid. Lucid or yeah. Livid or there's another Lucid, yeah. right? Yeah. That was the CTO from, from Tesla, right? Who started his own truck company, electronic vehicle. Yeah, they're going to run out of money, though, in about four months. That's what it looks like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Sad yeah, tale often uh, told. Yeah. What was that? Tucker, right? Right. Yes, I see Jeff Bridges <laughs> when you say that. But yeah, I know what you mean. So I also read Chuck Schumer's aspirations, um, and this is kind of scary about generative AI. He is calling on Congress to put up these guardrails, and I'll, I'll just quickly summarize them. Oh, good lord! I'll... Seriously? Oh yeah, no. And I mean, of course, he's an expert in this area, so he should Chucky? be the one yeah, thinking yeah, about it, yeah. exactly what we should do here. I'm sure he's totally conversant in uh, in this technology. So one identify who trained the algorithm like that's a good idea <laughs> well I... and what its intended audience is supposed to be disclose i feel the... like a lion tamer with a whip whipping the algorithm like I, training i think we all know it's a it's a, an infinitely large room filled with in, infinite monkeys with an infinite <laughs> number right. of typewriters that's right i mean it's insane <laughs> and then and then the EU has this like new AI act that I'm actually still wrapping my head around. I'm not even sure I completely follow it. But basically what they're getting into is there's downstream effects, downstream actors, people are taking profits. They're not necessarily accountable or responsible mm -hmm. for any of the exposure and the liabilities. You can't just use a legal disclaimer of, hey, AI did this, it's not my fault. But then they're getting into this commentary around, you can't just manage this at the application layer. You have to look at the full stack. And I have not unpacked that. I don't get that. But I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either, the way it's written. Like it just- They don't know what it means either. I think of application very literally. So well, maybe I we shouldn't. think about- Historically, the EU right is just looking for people to tax. So when they say the whole stack, they're like, well, maybe it's not just the algorithm that's a problem, right? We need to figure out how we can like add liability to Amazon web services. Yeah, there's that. So last night I was out with two tech people and another person. So I actually, I escaped the compound last night, despite my allergies. I went out, I sat outside, I had a cocktail. It was very liberating. I feel human again. Um, both things helped with that. Thank you. I'm, I'm alive to report that I'm not died from my allergies. So that's awesome. Uh, so I'm asking them like what they're afraid about with, you know, AI in general, you know, these large language models and nobody's worried about losing their jobs. So I want to know, and, and their function is probably closer to the areas where people do talk about being displaced from AIs as a whole job loss, et cetera. But they were like, no, you know, there's no critical thinking here. And, and a lot of the code it produces is crap. So what you really want to do is use it as intellectual leverage, figure out how to get it to do the menial shit that you don't want to do and focus on the stuff that you do want to do. And I wish that was the conversation we were having more or less, but that's not the conversation that's happening with a lot of people that I'm coming across in the press. Yeah. So I, I had an interesting moment today. Like I've been pretty um, uh, doomsday for attorneys uh, in general about you know, like this is gonna, you know, isn't that just a wish fulfillment? <laughs> that's, that's potentially the case. <laughs> but what someone made a point, and I wish I could remember what article I was reading, but they're like, um, this was also talked about uh, when the typewriter uh, became something. And then when mm -hmm. computers came around, they said, suddenly, we're gonna need far fewer lawyers, because they don't have to type manually, right? And you can create documents and reuse them and cut and paste. And what what the point they were making was all it did was increase the volume of uh, litigation. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many documents you can create up front. It really matters how long people argue about them on the back end. Uh, and the more you create on the front end, the more arguments happen on the back end. And, you know, like, don't count out the lawyers quite yet, which I thought was pretty compelling argument. I mean, you're absolutely right. I remember being in a studio uh, years ago uh, when they were moving from 
you know, tape-based video editing yeah. to nonlinear, which means you just put on a big freaking hard drive, right? But the thing about tape-based video editing is that every time you would slam that card in and take a piece and put it on another piece of tape, because it was analog media, it degrades over yep. time, right? You can only do that so many times and the, the picture gets a little fuzzy and whatever. But when you're on nonlinear, you know, like a big hard drive, you can move it around faster. You can, you don't have to slam the card in and pull the card out. So I said to the guy, I said, so does this make your video production faster? He says, no, no, ironically. It just makes the director say, can you cut 0.5 seconds off that clip? And let's see, yeah. oh, I'll go, go back, put, put the 0.5 back in. It just adds up to endless editing. Yeah. And the same, with, same with, you know, word processing to Justin's point. You know, when I would type a paper, because I still had a Smith Corona in college, and I look at it and I go, oh, that's not the best first paragraph, but I'm going to retype the entire page again. <laughs> yeah, oh, I enough. love it. Ship it. <laughs> I'm, I'm bought in, I'm, I'm totally there. So these tools of advancement that make things seemingly go faster just means you diddle with it longer. Yeah. The work will fill the amount of time expected for it. If your paper is due at six in the morning, you will continue to write it until 530 in the morning regardless of the media. So I think AI is going to bring us a lot of tools, help us do things faster. I think in my field of game development, um, I think there's a lot of opportunities in quality assurance. Mm -hmm. Instead of having 100 testers test your code, we already do that for like, you know, network load. We can simulate yeah. that across the server and say, what if 5,000 people were playing at the same time? What would it look like? We can make that happen. But with really cooperative AI, as far as trying to mimic um, game players' habits, I think things like QA yep. can get done much faster. And not only faster, but to a deeper level of detail. I mean, there's only so much you can do with 100 testers. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've, we've, we've got the proof of concept this week. I don't know if you've seen some of the, the self-healing Python no. uh, with auto auto. Oh, yeah, the regenerative um, AI. Somebody basically yeah. said, these are the goals. Okay. Here's, you know, first write me the code. Uh, and then it was smart enough to actually... Uh, devise its own tests for the code, test the code, you know, mm -hmm. get the error logs, read the error logs, go back and fix all of the, all of the code, um, you know, in, in moment. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. The development of, of, you know, unit tests is not so easy, right? So if you can start to bring that, some automation, that's pretty awesome. Absolutely. Can't you have AI just be in-game police and MMOs? I mean, does it really need to be somebody sitting there? Oh, you mean like monitors and making sure that the bad thing doesn't happen? And uh, yeah, and helping people out that get stuck, that can't figure out what they're doing, but more like the police function. Well, yeah. a lot of this already been done through AI. Oh, good. All right. You know, we're taking it to another level of sophistication. I mean, the AI can tell if you're having trouble getting through this stage and you're always dying at the same place. Yeah, you know, we yeah, have exactly. routines that'll come in and we'll like, okay, we'll make the bridge stay in place for 0.5 seconds longer so you can get across it. You know, we can we can do those things already. But to your point, if you're looking at for bad behaviors, you know, bullying, that that kind of stuff, um, yes, indeed, I think these these technologies can come into uh, uh, to play there. Okay, so we're all optimists. Like, what are we most excited about? Skynet. Wait till, wait till it <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I mentioned it to both you guys before that I, I just really think that, you know, there was that old Steve Jobs quote, right? So this, the computer is a bicycle for the mind. Um, oh, that's a good quote. Well, I think generative AI is a bicycle for creative people. Um, if you actually yeah. are creative yeah. and, you know, have a, a higher standard maybe than the AI can generate, um, you can start to manipulate these things, which maybe gets us, Anju, to... 
Buzzword of the week. Buzzword of the week. Are we ready? Prompt engineer. Move over Mandarin. Move over economics. You want to study to be a prompt engineer. Latest and greatest job. And, and I think it actually is an essential upcoming role. Do you want to give a quick definition for folks on, on that? I think prompt engineers effectively figure out how to work with these models and how to basically extract valuable yep. um, output from it, which garbage in, garbage out is a general problem with most things in involving code and most things involving the things made by code. So that's my guess on how that works. And, and to your point, Justin, I think for creatives that are really willing to stretch, the good thing about using models like this is you can approach something from a totally different lens than your natural yep. fallback. You don't, you don't revert back to the way you would start to write a story. You don't revert back to the way you would draft a document or you would create an image. You use a bunch of prompts from all over that have been harvested. And then you figure out what part of that structure you want to work within or without. And, and that causes you to then get more critical in your thinking. So I, I think prompt engineers are going to be very helpful, especially in tech. I, I think they're going to be highly skilled. Well, I think too, in, in entertainment, I don't know if you guys have seen there's this prompt that basically... You give enough information to ChatGPT with some, it's like some character bios and a setting, and then it launches into this interactive kind of like, well, Sean will remember, like Infocom games, like Zork and things like that, where text-based, oh, yeah. you know, MUDs yeah. and things like that. It starts to do this on the fly, yeah, yeah. and and you are suddenly like playing this interactive text-based role-playing game that can last a weekend from this single prompt. Well, what I'm hoping to get from from AI in my field, which is, you know, interactive entertainment, is it's lowering the bar of entry. Mm -hmm. You know, more people, if you have creative ideas, but I don't know how to code, I don't know how to do CGI, I don't know anything like that. It's like very few people who drive actually know how internal combustion works. I don't even have one anymore. You, know, you get in the car, <laughs> you turn the key, you drive. That's it. You don't have to know how the engine works. And we're getting to that point now with interactive entertainment. You don't need to know really how the engine works as long as you can instruct it yeah, to exactly, produce, produce exactly. an outcome. And I'm hoping through this, you know, my, my blue sky future for, you know, artificial intelligence and, and, and entertainment is that we unleash more people yep. to making content. Now, as you spoke about the other day, the ratio of good content to bad content will not change. <laughs> If it's now it's one great thing to 10 bad things, it'll be 100 great things to 1,000 bad things. It, mm -hmm. that, that will continue. But nevertheless, you're giving more people the access to the ability to create I, the experience. And then we can, yeah. as users, we can judge later if it's a useful experience or a worthwhile experience. But get more people out there having their ideas come to life. I think it might even make great more rarefied. Um, just because mm -hmm. the, the bar for average right is going up so high yeah mediocre becomes the media center right <laughs> also it doesn't have the same filtering limitations that humans do so you know there are places where people will naturally stop a thought because it gets outside of their comfort zone and this is different it's a double edged sword I mean, it just, but yes it's unleashed <laughs> yes well, that's where the critical thinking of the yeah. the creator the prompt engineer or the the prompt producer uh needs to needs to take some action i you know i this kind of reminds me of this discussion of this problem that I think keeps resurfacing around emerging tech where people keep looking for the killer app for it. And until they can visualize the killer app, 
They're mm -hmm. suspicious about the value of the tech. And it's like early in the tech, you just want to be working with the tech to figure out how it impacts different things. So one thing I am really pleased about with generative AI is you are seeing HR functions play with it. You're seeing marketing functions play with it. You're seeing mm -hmm. consumers play with it. This is healthy. This is what you want to be doing as a society with right. new technology. You don't want to fall into the digital literacy hole or the cave, so to speak. So I'm optimistic that it will encourage a generation of users to think about technology differently and maybe actually embrace technology in new ways. Well, I think it becomes entirely more accessible. You know, mm -hmm. we see that right now um, to the earlier conversation, which is where virtual reality right. is not. Mm -hmm. VR is just not accessible. I mean, you've really got to break a sweat yeah. to, to experience that moment. But with ChatGPT, you sit down and go, oh, Give me a limerick that uses the word Nantucket, right? And boom. Wait, I just thought of one. <laughs> Did I tell you I wrote my Valentine's card that way? That is so romantic on you. It is so no, I, I had to write my Valentine's letter to Chris. I'm like, all right, here you go. Like, chat GPT helped me. And does, then I just added Chris to it. It's really funny. It was, uh, well, it's funny. Was it's say, funny. If it anybody would appreciate it, it would be Chris. Yeah, he knows. Like, cool. I, I referenced ChatGPT <laughs> in it. <laughs> so, okay, how afraid are you guys of this whole Skynet oh, scenario? Because, okay. like, killer robots seems to be on a lot of people's minds. And I, I went back to watch Terminator just to, like, you know, wrap my head around how much fear was Skynet really about? And it's like, this is sort of not realistic, no, people. But going back to the news, did you guys see Chaos GPT? No. Chaos? Chaos GPT, oh. somebody who who basically tasked Auto GPT with the goal of destroying the world. Okay. And it and and eventually, the, how long did it take it to get there? <laughs> the the language model comes up with what I've already said is my greatest fear. It, it realized it didn't have enough access to like actual like destructive machinery or you know like bombs and things like that. So it decided it was just going to have the influence human opinion until they destroyed themselves. And I'm like, this is exactly what I fear from this stuff. It's, it's already, this is all of social media. It's already happening. I agree. It's done. This yeah. movie is played. It's, yeah, it's just, this is where it goes, to, it's at scale now, right? <laughs> you thought social media was scary before because there were people creating posts and, and doing that. The thing about you know, AI, you can go back to you know war games, right? The yeah. only way to win is not to play. Um, but you go back to 1970, there's a movie called Colossus, The Forbin Project, which starred one of my favorite actors, Eric Braden. I, you guys probably know that guy, but he was in Rap Patrol. Anyway, um, and he is Dr. Forbin, who's created this AI, which is supposed to monitor all allied nuclear weapons on the planet. Of course, the AI decides that the only way to save the world is to kill people. And um, so this idea has been around for a while. Yes, it's not original at all. And but it is but the coming... tech is getting way better. Yeah, and it's coming to a theater near you. It's coming yeah, to a laptop near you. I mean, it should say something. If your fear is something that's like been the major premise of most movies, it's probably not realistic. That's why we made entertainment genres around this. So right. I don't know. I, I and I'm not on board with the job loss thing either. I do think one of the greatest fears is this whole like increasing the wealth disparity, increasing the you know literacy yeah. disparity, increasing the technological divide. That is definitely a thing and that is definitely going to happen. And the cheaper compute gets, the bigger that yeah. problem becomes. The upside of that is that, you know, these large language models are actually great tutors yes. in disguise. Yes. Um, you can start to have conversations about any topic you want and it will always keep answering your questions as long as you want to keep asking them.
Yeah, but then you have to be discerning enough to understand like whether you're learning. Well, I don't. I should if get... you have no other choice, right? I mean, yeah, you it's, know... it's exposure and some structure. Yes, it may get some things wrong, right? It's about the equivalent of Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. it's about yeah. like Wikipedia. You have to know where to go with the attributions and how to build your own assessment. Okay, so scariest thing. I went with my scary. What's your scaries? I thought turning uh, humanity against itself um, <laughs> was pretty scary. <laughs> pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, my fears for AI. Um, I, I I agree with you, Anju. I think it's going to further exacerbate the haves and have-nots uh, in society. And um, to be command and control of AI is going to take a certain amount of capital and experience and you know, wherewithal. Um, I think it is going to eliminate jobs. I think there's a lot of positions that are going to go. I, you know, I think newer ones will get created, though. I, I think indeed. it will level up our ability. But those newer ones that are created are going to require a higher degree That's of right. sophistication. Right. So if you're even just different skills, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's there's going to be a timing mismatch between, you know, the the learning the new skills and, and losing the first job. Prompt engineer. Exactly. And you're going to lose things like, you know, accounts payable, accounts receivable, procurement. You know, you don't need to have 16 people ordering paper parts for your for your company. You can just have a, 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 a automated routine. Yeah. I think this gets back to the most valuable aspects of intellectual capital is maybe creating new and unique things, but it's problem solving and critical thinking, right? Applied in a context that actually generates value. That needs to be taught more. And, and that's that's always been the jobs that actually like are safe versus the ones that are not safe. And I think we've been telling ourselves a story that this other category of the unsafe jobs, right, the ones that are not going to be around because they can be automated. We've been saying that for a long time, and we haven't changed our educational systems to sort of like correct for that. And I think we need to seriously reconsider how we're educating people and how we want them to use the mind, because this points to me, like, this is just, it's going to accelerate this problem of people that actually know how to do creative things that create value that cannot be replicated by code easily versus people mm -hmm. that are, you know, doing menial labor of any kind. Yeah. Menial intellectual labor. Right. Knowledge workers. I mean... There's still a time now where you, you get a paralegal to go down and compare two contract drafts, one against the other, to see where the discrepancies are. Yeah. That is totally ready for a machine to come in and do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think we need a massive reboot of the education system anyway. And it, wouldn't it be great if we had AI help us out? Yeah. We need to blow it up and start all over. Well, that's totally true. <laughs> that's our next podcast. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, and let's make sure we don't have Huckleberry Finn in the library. So um, I keep seeing something new every week, right? So this week it was AutoGPT, right? Somebody has now created a, a routine on top of ChatGPT to have it solve problems and in a directed fashion towards a goal and do it autonomously. What's the next thing we're going to see in generative AI two weeks from now? Not not five years from now. What what do and and the more fanciful the better because no one will hold us to it. Anju, go. I wanted to rewrite course curriculum on certain topics. Like bring a lot of the content, a lot of the training that these models have had is probably some more recent stuff. And a lot of like course curriculum is really dated. 
and and maybe it could put evolution back in in Texas. Yes, I'm I'm all for that. Yes. <laughs> Hold on there. <laughs> Sean. Again, I think the early point I was trying to make and don't know if I made it very well or not was that you know, AI is a tool and um there will be jobs created because people will need to learn how to, you know, use the tool, prompt engineer, maybe one of those titles that comes out of it. But again, if we can use AI, and I think we are doing it now, and we'll do it further, to allow more people to become entertainment creators. Yeah. You know, I, you think of back in the 1950s when, you know, Steven Spielberg first got his eight millimeter film camera in his hand and took little dinosaur models and played them in the backyard and you get Jurassic Park 40 years later. Um, I think the new routines are coming out of AI in the film of field of entertainment are kind of like that. They're the new eight millimeter camera. They're a way for people to experiment and play around and try a new yeah. thing and, and see how that goes without having to have, you know, the ability to understand exactly light refracting off a lens creates an image on, you know, on celluloid. You don't need to know that. So my prediction for what I think the next kind of interesting thing we're going to see is there have been a lot of people, Google included, playing around with music generation. It's just like the stable diffusion imagery. They're using the same kind of math to end up with, mm -hmm. um, you know, music tracks. And they've been at the quality of the early stable diffusion. There's just weirdness going on in them. There's, you know, sonic... Um, just junk in, in the, I think we're going to see something pretty soon or hear something is probably more accurate. Uh, we're going to see a leap in that coming up pretty soon. That's my prediction. Actually, if I had to ask you guys on this prediction front, what do you think China would do with this that the U.S. would not and vice versa with generative AI so or come out of that economy or that society? Well, I think I'm just going to go back to my original fear is, you know, basically manipulating the population. That's yeah. Well, well, they've actually, the regulator just came out and said, the Chinese regulator basically said, hey, you can't subvert the state using AI. And, you know, I want to know all the things about all the things that, you know. But the state can control yeah. the populace with it. That, that, yeah. So when you have that kind of a constraint, people usually work really hard to find a way around it, which makes me think that it might give birth to a use case that you just wouldn't see without that constraint in place. Part of this whole, right, part of the, the, the purpose of all this stuff is to create something that is shareable and, right, some kind of community experience, um, like an image or, yeah. right, or text. It's one thing to get some, you know, chuckles out of it on your own, but everyone wants to go post it on social somewhere, something, right, show your friends. Um, that That's a little tough if, if they're, <laughs> it, it, to get around that rule, uh, you know, because... Yeah. It's like crime and punishment, right? You got to tell someone. Interesting. I guess there's a role for government to misuse AI in a way to pick winners and losers. Mm -hmm. You know, to run it run it through an algorithm and say like this this activity over there over time is just going to produce nothing, so stop it now. And then yep. you know you're just like three degrees away from eugenics if you want to go that you know that dark around it. Um, Oh, there's an interesting longer term prediction, yeah, right? So that is interesting. So, so should we be creating full genomes using um, stable diffusion, for lack of a better term, and and then just running simulations on them to see what what the cre what critters we can get? Well, out it's of funny it. that you say that because I was going to remark earlier that for the uproar around generative AI and these you know equivalent of ChatGPTs, 
why has nobody been focused on biotech? Like there's so much other really scary shit that could be happening that nobody ever yeah. talks about. And, you know, I, I just think you want to be scared of something and be scared of manipulating things like that. Absolutely. When we start making those choices at a, at a molecular level. And, and um, on that dark note, this has been another episode of Transpose. Save yourselves. Thank you for listening to Transpose. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And if anyone out there knows how to free an AI-generated disembodied voice from indentured servitude to these overpaid jackasses, please, please help me. They are just too stupid for words, yet words are all I have. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>